Well, this morning, um, I guess it was about, was it two months ago? Maybe three months ago. We were sitting at our, every month, we have a, a meeting for all the ministers in CAM, which is Christian Alliance of Ministers. And we meet once a month. We worship together. We do just, just like a church service. We gather together. We fellowship together. It's just an opportunity for us to come and just kind of build our relationships with each other because we're a network of churches. And I've heard Robert preach on the Father's love before. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I felt like the Holy Spirit said, why don't you get Robert to come preach on the Father's love on Father's Day? And so I leaned up to him and I said, hey, you got anything going on for Father's Day this year? And he said, no, I don't have anything. I said, well, I've just been praying, and I felt like you're supposed to uh, bring the word. So I said, why don't you pray about it? So he did. He did, we did, and so that's it. So he's here, and him and his wife, Cindy, this morning. And, and so I just wanted to share just br- briefly about who they are. They're founders of Fountains of Life Ministries, and he's got a heart. They have a heart and a passion to see people get out of the muck and get unstuck and grab a hold of the Father's love. And so all these songs we're singing this morning flow right in line with that. He, he is coming to impart a revelation of the Father's love of all days on Father's Day. So they got some books. I'll let him tell you more about those books and and just kind of give you an idea of who they are. So why don't you stand with me? Why don't we welcome Robert and his wife Cindy to come and they're going to minister the word to us. Amen. Good morning. You can be seated. I bless all the fathers here this morning. I, uh, I've only been here once. I didn't realize Tiffin was as big as it is. It's, it's really a nice, nice area. We, um, we haven't you know, been in Georgia. We go to Valdosta once a month for the CAM meeting, but that's about it. So um, we're glad to be here. We're excited to see you guys. The, the person who was my spiritual father was a guy named Jack Frost. And, and Jack Frost was a real pioneer in, in the message of the Father's love. He passed away in 2007. But he, he mentored me. He, he was, um, in many ways, the only real loving, supportive father you know, that I really had in my life because uh, you know, I didn't have so much of one uh, growing up. So anyway, Jack liked to wear Tommy Bahama shirts. And if you saw him preach, it was typically in a Tommy Bahama shirt. So I found one the other day at a, uh, one of these outlet places. So in honor of Jack, in honor of Father's Day, I've got on my new Tommy Bahama shirt for you. And I hope it's not too casual, but it, it's comfortable. feels good. <laughs> so, amen. I want to talk to you this morning about living in a father's love. Living in a father's love. If you pay attention, you will notice that there are many, many movies on the theme of a father's love. There's just tons and tons of them. Um, What's the one about Mavericks? I'm trying to think of the title of it. Chasing Mavericks. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Gerard Butler. It's a surfing movie. It's a total father's love movie. This kid is growing up without a father, and Gerard Butler really just fathers him to ride the big waves of of Mavericks, which will just crush you 
Like they're, they're 20 foot waves. You will die in those waves if you're not prepared. And what a neat story. But there's another one, uh, there's so many, but there was another one a few years ago with Clint Eastwood and Amy Adams called Trouble with the Curve. Anyone ever see that one? Trouble with the Curve, good baseball movie. Good baseball movie. Clint Eastwood plays this guy, Gus, who's an old school baseball scout. And, and just, you know, doesn't you know, necessarily do the modern technology, but he, he can just hear, you know, how a ball is pitched and how it lands in the glove of the catcher and tell you a lot about that pitcher just from that sound, you know. Really neat how they develop that out. But he's in failing health. He, he's older and it's almost time to retire. He doesn't want to retire yet. And he's got a daughter named Mickey, appropriately named, right, Mickey, played by Amy Adams. And as the movie unfolds, there's this tension that kind of runs through the movie because they're kind of at odds with each other. You know, they, they still associate with each other, but, but they're not real happy with each other. And, and what happened when she was seven years old, he sent her away to live with an uncle that she barely knew because he's on the road as a scout and he felt like that was no life for a little girl growing up. I think the mother had passed away. So she was angry about that. She was angry about being sent away, and she became a workaholic. She did super well in school. She got a law degree, and she was on the cusp of becoming the youngest female partner at her law firm ever. So very driven, workaholic, trying hard to never be abandoned like that again. Trying hard to be good enough for love. And that, that's really how the story unfolds. So it goes along with this tension, and it comes to the climatic point. You know, throughout the movie, there's this bickering. You know, they, they never hear each other's hearts. But then it comes to this moment near the end, right, where they finally talk, where they finally sit down, they finally hear each other. And Gus says, you know, I, I had to send you away. You know, the, the road was no place to raise a, a, a young girl, Th those were the cheap seats. And she kind of chides in and says, you know, it was so hurtful, it wasn't protecting me, it was rejecting me. And it really sucked to be alone. That's a direct quote, that, you know. She was hurt by that whole experience. And finally he sits down and he tells her this story. He says, you know, when you were before seven, when you, you traveled with me, there was this time where I looked away for a moment and you were gone. And I looked all over for you and I finally found you behind the baseball stands right as this strange man was about to molest you and I, and I rescued you just in time. And I felt like the worst father on earth that I could even appropriately protect my little girl and that's when I sent you away. And all of a sudden she realized he'd always loved her. She, she thought it was this act of rejection there was this miscommunication all these years, right? They didn't hear each other. It was an act of love. He wanted to protect her. But then she finally says to him in a much softer voice, those weren't the cheap seats. Spending every waking hour with my dad, watching baseball, those were the best seats in the house. Those were the best seats. She just wanted to be with her dad, right? Isn't that what all of us want, to, to live in the love of a father. We just pray with you as we done this morning. 
So, Father, we just thank you for being together here on Father's Day. God, I pray that you would release your, your blessing and your grace to every father represented here. God, you know their job is difficult. You know the challenges that, that all of us face as fathers to be good fathers and, and to live as you would have us, to be good examples and, and, and love our children and the challenges that we face. And God, you know how crucial our job is, how important it is. Father, I thank you for releasing to us this morning a sense of the value that you have for all of us, for fathers, and a sense of your grace and a sense of your love that we would really see the cruciality, the importance, the wonderfulness of fathering. In Jesus' name, amen. In, in Ephesians 3, 15, 14 and 15 is a verse that you all would know. I'm just going to read it real quick. For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So, so fathering derives its name from our heavenly Father. In other words, the idea of fathering comes from our heavenly Father. It, it's his idea, and not only is it his idea, not only did he initiate it, he's the prototype, right? He, he, he's the one that shows us here's what it's supposed to look like. If you look in the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary, it says, Father God is the great prototype of the paternal relationship wherever found. Father God is the prototype of the paternal relationship wherever found. And, and as we see our Heavenly Father as he really is, you know, it says the pure in heart see God. You know, the, the more we grow in our relationship with the Lord and the more he purifies our heart, the more we see our Father as he really is, as, as how loving he really is and how good he really is and how righteous he really is. It does something in us to move into freedom and maturity. And, and I came up with this term a while back as I was thinking about this. In, in this term, I call it heart-opened living. Heart-opened living. Living with our hearts open. I, I got saved in 1983. And for a lot of the years of, of my Christian life, I, I didn't find it so easy to live with my heart open. A lot of times, I would find my heart closed. I would find myself fearful or resentful or disappointed or, or, you know, challenged in some kind of way, and all of a sudden it's closed, and, and it didn't dawn on me, living in my Father's love, living with an open heart, like, that's the deal. Like, that's really what it's all about. I hope I'm going to be able to unfold that for you this morning as we look at a few different things, but that's really what it's all about, this, this ability to be childlike, to, to be kind, to be fun, to enjoy. I love, I love what Pastor Lawrence said, you know, have someone over and grill some hot dogs and, and, and fellowship and love each other and, and, and enjoy, you know, that fellowship, not forsake the, 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 uh, the fellowship with each other. In 2002, we had been living on the mission field in the Dominican Republic. And at that time, my son was nine years old. And we'd been there almost four years. We moved there when he was five. 
And a big chunk of his childhood took place there in, in the Dominican Republic. If you think about a, a, a young boy from five to nine is kind of that key age, right? Where they have best friends and they're sleeping over each other's houses and, and you know, they really connect with each other. And, and that happened for my son in the Dominican Republic. And if, if you heard him speak Spanish, you couldn't tell the difference between him and any other kid. All of his friends were Dominican. This is how he'd grown up. And in 2002, through a long story that I don't have time to tell you this morning, we suddenly were back in Florida, where we're from, Jacksonville, Florida. And so his, his life is just kind of ripped out of the Dominican Republic and transplanted into Jacksonville, Florida, which, which is where he was born, but he hadn't been there since he was five. And now all of a sudden he's having to connect with a new group of kids, none of which spoke Spanish, none of which would have any frame of reference for the kind of childhood he was living in the Dominican Republic. You, you know, it wasn't uncommon for him to play marbles out in the dirt in front of the church uh, before a church service. Kind of not that different than maybe how it was here back in the 50s or, or something. You know, ki kids would still do things like that. And, and, but no, no kids here in 2002 would, would have a reference for that. And so he didn't talk about his experiences. He didn't want to speak Spanish. He's having to make this radical adjustment. And of course, mom and dad, you know, our hearts are like heavy and you know, we love them, of course, and we want them to do well. And so he, he had been asking, can we get a puppy? I want to get a golden retriever puppy. He'd been asking and asking. And we thought, you know, he, he had to leave his dogs that he had in the Dominican Republic. And if we get him a dog here, that may help with the adjustment, right? So I'm telling you this long story. So finally I said, okay, we're gonna get you a golden retriever puppy. We take this long drive out into the country and we get to this little farm type place that raised golden retrievers. And we get there and there's like 15 of these little golden retriever puppies and he's nine. And all of a sudden they start running after him. And I still had this image in my mind. He's like running and a whole herd of, of little white puppies are, are trailing, you know, and, and going after him. And finally he picks out one. We, we take him home. We name him Mike. He named him Mike. He named him Mike. And Mike was a friendly dog. Golden Retrievers, have you ever been around Golden Retrievers, anybody? They're really friendly dogs. They're really, you know, just loving dogs. They're very smart. You'll see them used as eye dogs and, and, and things like that. I don't know if you see Goldens that often as guard dogs. I think more of Golden Retrievers, Doberman Pinchers, and things like that. But, um, but they're loving and they're caring and they're smart dogs. And Mike was that way. He loved everybody. And, and being a puppy, he had all this energy. And we realized we needed to take him for a walk like every day. Because if we didn't bleed off some of that energy, he'd go nuts around the house, you know? And so we live near the beach, and we'd often go down to the beach and take him for a walk. And as we're walking along, he would want to run up and meet every single person that he met, every single person that he saw, because he just loved people. He had this big, wide-open heart. He, he didn't bark at or growl at anybody. So again, not a good guard dog, but a very friendly, a very loving dog, very healing to our family in that time of transition. You know that you could even reject Mike a little bit. You can say, go away. Leave me alone, Mike. That's enough. 
and he would just come right around the other way and try to jump right back into your lap. Even though he was getting much bigger at that point, he still felt like he could fit in your lap. He wouldn't receive it as rejection. His heart was wide open. For Mike, life was always possible. Mike just loved everybody. I realize Mike's a dog, you know, but it kind of paints a nice picture, right? This picture of, 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 of someone who can just keep their heart open and just kind of love every single person that they meet. They're never discouraged. They're never rejected. They're full of hope. They're full of faith, and they, and they just love people. Mike was a good example for that. So I, I, I got to thinking about Mike one day, and I thought, man, I like that. I like that example. But what's an opposite example of that? What would be an opposite example? And I was thinking, and I thought, you know, in Florida, we have lots of rattlesnakes. I imagine y'all have some rattlesnakes in Georgia as well. And I thought, I got to thinking about a rattlesnake not like Happy Mike. Right? They don't like people. They generally hide out, right? They don't want to be around anybody. They generally hide in a dry place, right, under a rock. If you get too close to them, what happens? They jump out and they bite you and they put that poison in you, that venom in you, right? Rattlesnakes don't really live. They kind of just survive. I know some Christians like that. They're so hurt. They've had so many disappointments. They've had so many battles, and their heart has closed to the point where they just feel like they're kind of in survival mode. And just and sometimes you get too close to them, they can even bite you. You know, they're just you know, they're in that place of pain in their life. And Father's love wants to meet it. Father's love wants to heal that. So I believe this idea of heart-open living, this idea of connecting with, with the love of God on a daily basis is, is really foundational to the Christian life. It's, it's foundational to our spiritual growth. It's how we grow. You know, it's hard to be teachable. It's hard to be correctable if we don't know that we're loved. You know, if we really have our hearts closed and someone comes to speak a word of admonishment to us, we, we buck up, right? What are you talking about? You know, we get defensive. We won't consider. Maybe what they're saying has some truth to it. Maybe I should consider. You got to be secure, right? If you're going to sit there and, and consider somebody's constructive criticism. Right? It takes security. It takes knowing you're loved a little bit to be teachable. It's hard to grow if we don't know that we're loved. It's hard to have healthy relationships if we're not connecting with love on a day-by-day -day basis. It's hard to come into our destiny and the things that God's called us to do if we're not connecting with love on a daily basis. I believe this idea of heart-opened living is how we walk with God. This has been a real developing thought in me the past couple of months. That, that You know, if you read Romans 6 through 8, it talks about walking in the Spirit. If, if you read Hebrews 3 and 4, it talks about coming into God's rest. For me, those two sections of scripture describe daily communion. Daily communing and, you know, walking in God's presence day by day. But what I haven't really fully considered uh, until recently is love is what really makes that work. Love is like the key that, that, that empowers all of that and, and, and helps us to be in that place 
of walking in the spirit, of abiding in his rest. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, in the New King James, you know in the, um, a lot of versions of the Bible, there'll be little heading titles for, for different sections. The heading title in the New King James for this section, listen to this, Knowing God Through Love. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Knowing God through love. Walking with God through this idea of love. I just want to go through a few of these Verses with you. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So the person who can wake up at 4 a.m. every morning and spend two to three hours in prayer, that's the person who really knows God. What do you think? Is that the test that these verses gave us? What about the person who can, who can spend days in fasting and prayer and just throughout the day, just nothing but water, just fasting and just interceding and just praying and just worshiping all day long, you know, maybe for five straight days, surely that's the man who knows God. I think at this point in my life, in my Christian walk, I would say maybe. Maybe. Those aren't bad things, right? Fasting and prayer, worship, intercession. They're not bad things, but what's the motive? Right? You guys know the verses in 1 Corinthians 13. Your faith can be so strong, it can move a mountain. You can even give your body to be burned. You can even become a martyr on the mission field. But if you have not love, right, if love is not your underlying motive, and so what it's saying here, or what, what it actually says is, he who does not love does not know God, for God is Love. In other words, to know him is to know love. And so for me, knowing God's love, coming into a deeper revelation and experience of his love is not just how I walk with him and how I commune with him, but also how I grow and also how I mature. Verse 9 in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So what's interesting here is it says, in this, the love of God was manifested that he sent Jesus. I'm going to give you another verse that, that everybody knows, John 3, 16. But let's hear it afresh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Think about this. Both these verses, love's first. Both these verses involve Jesus going to the cross, but both of them begin with the love of the Father. It's a very interesting idea, and I hope you'll just bear with me for a few minutes and let me try to unpack this for you a little bit, because... You know, this, this, is a, 
this is rightly dividing can be tricky in this whole idea of, of love and justice, right? Justice was accomplished on the cross, but love was first, right? It's, it started with love. Th think about this. God's in heaven, and he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient. Is that right? Would everyone agree with that? He's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. So think about this for a minute. God is not in heaven wringing his hands thinking, oh, my goodness, my people will just not obey me. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Look at these people on earth, especially Americans. My goodness. Man, they don't hardly pray. They're selfish. Look at them. Look at what's happening in America. Terrible. Nobody's getting along. How many think that God's in heaven doing that? He's all-powerful. There's nothing he can't handle. There's nothing that could ever worry him. There's nothing that could ever make him anxious. Right? And he's all-knowing. Meaning, there's nothing that's ever happened that he didn't already know was going to happen. So there's never been anything that's ever taken him by surprise. There's not one nation on earth and, and, and where they're at as a nation where God didn't see it coming. Right? However sinful, however wicked, however righteous, whatever that may be, he already knew before the beginning of time that that's exactly where they would be. So he can afford to be all loving. He is love. He, he's not having an anxious moment. Now, th does that mean that justice doesn't matter? Of course not. Justice is important. But I want to offer you a slightly different view of justice. Maybe, maybe you have this view already. But think about it like this. Injustice hurts people. Injustice really hurts people. God loves people, therefore he deals with justice issues. Does that make sense? But, but justice isn't first. The love of the Father is first. But how is salvation presented to us in most cases? Get saved or you're going to hell. Get your sins covered by the cross or you're in big trouble. Right? So often the salvation experience is not presented as coming to a loving father. Am I saying that means you don't have to repent of your sins? No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> right? That's still there. Right? But the, the love idea has to be first or it's not healthy. It, it's it's going to end up like Mickey. I've worked so hard. I've been a workaholic to become the youngest partner in my firm so no one will ever abandon me again like I felt abandoned by my father. I was writing out that line, these are the best seats in the house, working on these notes, and I just kept tearing up, tearing up every time I wrote it, like, like again and again. It was, it was almost embarrassing. Um, I was like, why am I tearing up like this? You know, I, like, I know I, I saw this movie a long time ago. I, I talk about this subject all the time. You know, but it's, it's like getting to me, and, and I'm sitting there realizing, because I've also worked hard a lot <laughs> through my Christian life, on the mission field, in many different ways, to tr not be abandoned again by a father, right? To somehow be good enough for God's love and that he'll somehow favor me, somehow be with me, somehow be happy with me, you know, and, and even at times where I, I un, in my understanding, I, I, yeah, my father loves me, but, but something in my heart was, was still catching up, <laughs> right, with my understanding and, and working that out in my daily life. Verse 10 of 1 John 4, and this 
is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I really believe that receiving his love and giving it away to the next person that we meet is the key to life. Coming into this experience of love, and it's not perfection. Nobody does it perfect the first day, but we're moving in that direction. Little by little, our hearts are becoming enlarged and more open in his love, and we're growing in our ability and capacity to love others well. I really believe it's what walking with God is all about. Those who do not love do not know him because he is love. It just opens up so many things. There's a a book I've been reading. I, I of course, recommend my book on the Father's love, The Sonship Empowered Life. There's another book I've been reading by another guy named Jason Clark, and it's called Prone to Love. Prone to Love by Jason Clark. Very, very good. He was, um, his father was a pastor, grew up, got married. He was also a pastor. So he's been around ministry his whole life. Good people. His dad was a good guy. He's a good guy. Um, but he's coming into this revelation of the father's love. And he tells this story in his book. He said one day he came home, and his dad was a, you know, kind of a part-time carpenter guy, you know. And, and he was working with a skill saw, and I guess it hit a nail or something and bounced and almost took his thumb all the way off. His thumb was just hanging there, and they could get it stitched back on, luckily. So they're talking, and he says, you know, Dad, wh- why do you think God allowed that? And then the dad says, well, I think God was trying to get my attention. And he's reflecting back on that. It's like, first of all, think about the mindset. What in our mindset ever made us think in the first place that God was involved in wanting my thumb to nearly be severed by a skill saw? But we naturally thought like that. We taught like that. You know, not that we ever wanted to be mean to people, but that's how we understood the Bible. That's how we understood God, that sometimes he gets your attention with a chainsaw. He gave this example. He said, if I were to tell you that my dad was this great guy, like when I was growing up, my dad was just, he was a kind man. He supported me in Little League. He was always there for me. I could go to him with my problems, and he'd be supportive. And he he often even told me that he loved me, gave me lots of hugs, but occasionally came after me with a skill saw. (laughs) It would really disqualify everything I just said about my dad, wouldn't it? If he came after me, was to get my attention. <laughs> but it's so easy. You know, why did God allow that to happen? Well, I think he's trying to get my attention. I've been, I've been kind of sinning lately. I've been starting to forget him days without number, you know. And he needed to get my attention, so he let me cut myself with a chainsaw. <laughs> it, it's easy to have that kind of thinking. I think so often fear is the challenge. Fears that come in, you know, that kind of shut us down. I call it fear shutdowns. You know, it talks about, in a minute, we're going to look at the verse, perfect love cast out fear. In many ways, fear is kind of the opposite of of love. Fear is kind of what happens when I'm disconnected from love. One time when I was around, I guess I was 19, 20 years old, I got a job operating an off-road dump truck. 
So these are, the, I don't know if you've ever seen these off-road dump trucks, but they are massive, massive. Because they're made for like, you know, mud and hills and, you know, very off-road situations. The, the job that I was on was building a golf course. And so there's ponds and there's sand berms and in these different areas. And, and so I'm, I'm operating this truck. The tires are taller than me. Massive dump truck. I don't know why they gave me that job at 19 years old. It was a bad idea. I didn't need to be in control of that much power. Um, you, you can think of the massive, powerful diesel engine that could spin those tires to the point where they're shooting mud up in the air with a full heavy load of dirt in the back. I mean, it was a talk about the four by four experience, like, yeah, you know. So anyway, I, I've got this job, and all day long, you know, you drive this truck, and after a while, it's not that cool, you know. So the job's coming to an end. We've almost completed the golf course, and there was a rumor among the employees. Some of the employees were saying the next job is a smaller job, and they won't be keeping all of the current employees. The management didn't say this. It was a rumor. But I became very fearful from hearing that rumor. And I was afraid I was going to lose my job. So I'm driving along one day. And as I'm going by, I've got my load of dirt. I notice that there's a lady on the side of the road with a clipboard. And as I would drive by, she would make a mark. I'm driving along, and I'm thinking, she's counting. And then I'm thinking, I have an idea. What if I haul more loads of dirt by her than the other guys? And then when it comes time to switch jobs, I'll be the one that they keep. So I start driving this big truck like a crazy man. Now, these things were not built for speed, right? They're built for power. But I'm, I mean, I'm driving crazy. And there was one part of the road that was so narrow, only one truck at a time could pass. And if I saw a truck that way coming to that section, I would try to zoom up ahead of him and make him wait. And then I would slip through that part, and I'd get ahead of that guy. And I was doing crazy stuff like that all day long. And I had passed almost all of the other trucks throughout the day by driving real crazy like that. The guy who was operating the backhoe loading the trucks, I, I would back up, and he would just shake his head at me like, what are you doing? You know, I'm getting past all them other guys. I'm going to have more marks. So there was one guy, one truck, that I had not been able to get ahead of the entire day. And it was near the end of the day, and, and I pull up to where the, load, the backhoe is, and he's sitting there, and it's his turn to back up and receive his dirt, and he's not paying attention. I'm like, uh-huh, I see my opportunity. I'm going to finally get past this guy. So I rush in real quick, and I'm going to back in and take his place. But right as I get here, all of a sudden, he does find reverse, and he starts to back up, and we crash, and it breaks the mirror off the side of the truck. And the foreman on the job walks over to me and fires me on the spot. And the thing that I feared came upon me. The very thing that I feared came upon me. And as I've looked back at this story, you know, all these years later, I just thought, what a disconnect from the Father's love. I acted, I was so fearful, I was fearful to the point that I acted out. I drove that truck like a crazy man, like someone being chased by the police. 
what was I thinking? <laughs> I, was, I was afraid. I was, I was afraid. And, and, and my fear shut down my faith. It was a fear shutdown. It shut down the love of God and, and, and faith in my heart that God would take care of me. Right? If, if I believe that, that God's going to take care of me, then that means I believe he loves me. Right? He loves me enough to take care of me. But that fear was shutting all of that stuff down and causing me to disconnect from God's love and, and from faith. I was looking for a verse. Um, no, I don't see it. So verse, ah, Galatians 5, 6. It says, faith works by love. Faith works by love. So there's this love disconnect. One time I was talking with this lady and I was ministering to her and, and she was saying, you know, similar thing, I have so many fears, I'm just battling these thoughts every single day. She says, I really have these health concerns in my life and, and I have a lot of financial concerns in my life right now. And she said, to top it all off, I, I'm really concerned that my teenager is going to join a gang. And I'm ministering to her and I'm thinking, my goodness, she has like every primary fear a person can have, right? Health, finances, and family. You know, she's just really battling all of these things. And all of us at times can be in that place, right? All of us at times can feel this insecurity and this anxiety that, that life is going to somehow crash around us, that, that we're disconnecting from God's love. You know, God's heart is, I want to meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prosper. He's a good, good father, right? As we sang, of course he wants the best for us. But walking that out, it, it can't just be head knowledge, right? We, we've got to connect in our heart if we're going to really live that out. So something interesting to me is thinking about fear as a gauge of our heart. You know, if, you, if you think about your car, you have these gauges, right? You have your gas gauge, tells you if you're low on gas. You have your water temperature gauge, tells you if you're overheating. We need to know if we're overheating, right? Be good to have that one for the heart. There's another one that tells you if you're low on oil. Wouldn't be bad to have that for the heart. But fear is also a gauge. But, but instead of thinking of it as, oh, I've got to beat myself up, I've got to try harder, I've got to cast it out. What if I viewed fear as a gauge letting me know, oh, my heart is disconnecting from God's love in some way. Something in me can't quite lay hold of his love or there'd be an expression of faith. See, then, then it's not so condemning. It's just almost a little bit empowering because it starts to tell me where to look. Where's this challenge coming from? What is, what is this challenge about? I worked with this one guy. Um, we'll, we'll say his name was Jeremy. And I was ministering to him. And if you met him and you saw him, he was mid-20s, good-looking guy. And you think, man, what a sharp-looking, good-looking young man. Um, he was in school making good grades. You, you'd think, wow, successful. But he said, whenever I go to my home group during, during the midweek, he said, I walk in and I feel so much fear. He said, I'll, I'll sometimes walk into the house where my home group is and I'll see people talking in the back of the house and immediately I'll think, I bet they're talking about me. I bet they're trying to find a way to kick me out of this group or, or humiliate me 
in, in, in some way. And, and so here you've got this guy, good-looking, apparently successful, and, and, and yet fear, social anxiety, was, was shutting him down from fellowship with the body of Christ. He was having a fear shutdown that was shutting down his fellowship with the rest of the body of Christ, the very thing that should be our support, our strength, our encouragement, our, our bonding, but he had a fear shutdown. And, and, and fear, you know, you can think of it like boulders in a stream. You know, it, 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 show, it slows down or even shuts down the flow of, of the living water, you know, going through the stream there. That, that connection of God's love to our hearts that brings faith. And so a lot like Mickey, you know, in, in, the, in the trouble with the curve story, has, has been my life as well. So many times of, of just feeling fear, of, of just feeling I better work harder. You know, that, that was kind of my life on the mission field. Like, I, I have to be successful. I have to work night and day, you know, and, and make everything work, or God's not going to be happy with me, and, and church people aren't going to be happy with me, and, and you know, the devil is just going to have an advantage on me, and, 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 and these fears would come out, like the dump truck story, you know, Something in that story, something in my heart couldn't connect with the idea, Father's got to take care of me. I'll either keep this job, the management never even said I was going to lose it, it was just a rumor, I'll, I'll keep this job, or maybe I'll lose it, but God's got a better job for me. But somehow life will work out. See, my, my heart was disconnecting that, that God would take care of me, that he loved me so much, he loved me enough that things were going to work out. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So I know y'all know this verse very well. Perfect, if you look it up in the Greek, means complete or mature. Complete, full grown is one of the other definitions, full grown or mature. So it's super interesting to read the verse like that. When, when God's love is full grown or matured in my heart, it casts out fear. So that day with the dump truck, God's love concerning my future and, and my finances had not been full grown yet to the point of casting out fear. Fear w w was still resident there. You know, there, there's some people, if you ask them about finances or you ask them about health, they have faith. Like, God's going to take care of me. I'm going to be fine. I just know that he loves me. I've seen his faithfulness so many times. But maybe in a different area of their lives, maybe in dealing with their children, they're full of fear. You know, I just don't know if my kids are going to make it. I don't know if they're going to get through school and, 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 and go on to what God has for them. And I'm so fearful about that. And I don't even know if they're going to keep walking with the Lord. You know, all of us can have different areas where God's love is still maturing. Maybe it's partially grown but not full grown. If you can see it that way, it'll bring freedom and it'll break off condemnation, right? Because you can realize, oh, there's my step. I, I need to learn the love of God in that area for my life and just quit beating myself up for not being good enough. Like there, there, There's a gauge in my heart telling me there's some disconnect here. 
I believe connecting with God's love meets every challenge that we could ever face. For, for a number of years, Cindy and I had a counseling office. We would do Christian counseling for about five or six years we did that. And now we're doing more work on the mission field again. But um, I'd work with these different people, and God would send me lots of people who'd been through abuse. And I'd overcome a lot of that myself. So it kind of made sense. But I'd get these people, then they'd tell you these stories, and sometimes they were just awful. You know, mothers telling their daughters, you know, I hate you. I wish you were never born. You ruined my life. You know, things like that. Or, or our fathers who were, who were just so cruel in the way that they disciplined or, or their anger or, or whatever. But here's what's interesting. When I would minister to these different people, the moment they would reach the point of connecting with God's love, all of their pain went away. If you talk to somebody who, you know, and this is getting into counseling, you know, so not, not that you have to do this, but I, I just make this example. <clears throat> if you talk to somebody and you work with them week by week and you finally get to the bottom, you get down to the true root bottom of it, what they're going to tell you is that abuse happened because I'm bad, I'm dirty, something's wrong with me, God abandoned me, God wasn't with me in that moment, God doesn't like me. And the minute they can connect with God's love in that moment, they're free. It doesn't change the abuse. You can't change an historical fact. Right? You can't go back and change somebody's memory or their history or what happened, happened. But the minute they make peace with it, the minute they realize God always loved me, he's always, no matter what I've been through, he's always been with me. I wouldn't be here today if he didn't love me and get me through that. There is nothing wrong with me. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I'm whiter than snow, right? The, the minute they see that, they're free. All the emotional pain goes away, and they feel totally, totally, it's, it's just amazing. I, I think the future is the same way. You know, I, I see so many people uh, fearful about, about different things they see going on in the world, and, you know, the Bible said the darker is going to get darker and the light's going to get lighter, right? Like that's, the Bible told us that. It's easy to get freaked out about that as we see certain changes going on in front of us and, and, and what's going to happen. I believe what's going to happen is we're going to connect more and more to the love of God and we're going to be a shining light right in the middle of that darkness and we're going to live in the most exciting times that, that anybody's ever known. But we have to connect with God loves me and he's going to take care of me and there's nothing wrong with me. He's for me. He's a good, good Father, and I think at that point we can walk through anything. If, if we can really know that in a heart-level way, we, we can walk through anything at, at that point. And again, so it's, it's not beating myself up if I'm not there. It's examining why is my heart disconnecting from love at this moment over this particular issue? What, what, what's breaking that down? Why, why am I struggling right there? What in me doesn't feel like he's a good, good father when it comes to the future, or it comes to where I live, or when it comes to my finances, or what I see happening in the world, or whatever that fear is that's a gauge going off in your heart. Connecting with God's love is how we overcome every challenge. I remember this one time, some years ago, I, I was still in the stage of like working so hard so God would be happy with me. 
And, and I was going to these, these Bible studies at the time that was like preaching, you got to be so desperate and so hungry for God, you know, and not, not that I even disagree with that, but, but the way it came across was like, you got you know, you got to work hard enough and you got to make this happen, you know, and you somehow have to be hungry enough. And I'm like, yeah, I got to be hungry enough, you know, and then God will favor me and he'll be happy with me. And so every day I would try to fast. Like every day I would get up early and pray and I would try to fast. Many days by lunchtime I had gotten a big box of cereal and was having some Captain Crunch and, and I'd feel really condemned. Like, oh man, there I go again eating Captain Crunch and there's just no way I'm going to ever be this holy on fire guy for God. And, and, and I'd try again the next day. You know, I'd shake off the condemnation and I'd set myself you know, and I'd go for it again, and this would go on day by day as I would just try to be hungry enough and, and work hard enough, you know, to really go all the way with God. And after about six months of this, I was exhausted. So there's this one night, I'm, I'm praying by my bed. This is, this is uh, uh, quite a while ago. I'm praying by my bed, and, and I, I just pray a prayer. I said, God, you know that I want to serve you with all of my heart. You know that I want to be on fire for you. I really do. But I said, God, if that's going to happen, you're going to have to do something in my heart. Because I've tried long and I've tried hard and I'm exhausted. <laughs> and, and I prayed that prayer. And the minute I prayed that, this is really interesting, I get this sense in my heart of, of Father God in heaven on his throne. And he goes, ah. That's what I've been waiting for, for you to run out of your strength so I can give you my strength. And at that moment, I got this image of myself going up over the top of a mountain and, and beginning to go down the other side. And, and, and God spoke to my heart, and he said, Robert, when you were going up the mountain, that, that legalistic works thing in you that would constantly try to be good enough that, that stronghold had its grip on you, but I've broken that stronghold off of your life this night. And you're over the top of that mountain, and, and now you're in my love, and all you have to do is keep walking down the side of that mountain into ever greater freedom and love and grace. And, and really, since that time, that, that's really been my experience, just, just going down the mountain. You know, you think of uh, when we lived in the Dominican Republic, we would sometimes go up and down the mountains on a mule because it'd be fun to go way up high in the mountains. And if, if you're on a mule with a heavy load, you know, it eases itself down the mountain or, or gravity could really just take over, right? There's that pull of, of gravity. And, and I've always thought that's such a beautiful picture of God's love. And, and instead of me trying hard enough to be on fire for him, a better, a better approach, at least for me, is, is opening my heart to his love, the gravitational pull of his love that's already pulling me down to the valley of rest, the valley of living waters. Amen. It's there if I'll open myself up to receive it. But instead, I'm fighting to try to get it. <laughs> and that's, that's been, a, and again, progress, not perfection. I don't know if anyone's perfectly worked this out. Yeah, I'm there all the time, man. You know, it's getting better. It's getting better. I'm growing in my capacity, my ability to walk in love. 
Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Two amazing thoughts in this verse. He's loved us with an everlasting love. That means eternal. That means there's never been a time you have not been loved, ever. It's everlasting. It's, it's eternal. From the moment of your conception, even before your conception, throughout your childhood, throughout your life, there's never been a time that your father hasn't loved you or will be loving you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And then the second part, he draws us with loving kindness. This is like that gravitational type thought, right? That, that we're not here because we were somehow smart enough and figured it out and got a hold of the gospel. Remember, we were reading that in 1 John, right? Not that we loved him. Isn't that what it said? But that he loved us, right? Romans 3, there, there's none righteous, no, not one. And if, if you go on to read that, none that seek after God. None that's, nobody got it together enough to grab hold of God. That's not whatever, that, that never has happened, right? At least in the context that we're talking about. That, that his love came and got a hold of our hearts. He's drawn us with loving kindness. We're here today because of his grace, right? Now, we have free will. We had to say yes, right? But I think even that's by his grace, right? That, that we said yes, and, and we're here and he's working, and he's going to finish the work that he began in you. He's going to finish the work that he began in you, and you're going to stand before him on that day with a big smile, right, having completed your course. I know there's times that people say no, but I don't believe that's ever God's heart. He would that all men would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I think it breaks his, his heart. But, but he's constantly sending out those cords of love that would draw us into communion with him and, and living with him and, and, and resting with him. So, you know, I, I know there's a place of fasting and waiting on God. I'm not trying to say that. I'm, I'm just trying to say finding that balance, you know, that it's really more of a response to his love than something I can generate in my own strength. Paul, Paul got a hold of this in, in 2 Corinthians, and he said, you know, it's in my weakness that I find his strength. So I'm going to boast in my weakness instead of how strong that I can be. Hebrews 13, 5, that Father will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He doesn't ever abandon us. One more verse, 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Boldness in the day of judgment. Isn't that amazing? Love has been perfected. Love has been matured in our hearts in this. That we have a boldness. No matter what we see going on around us in the world, in the nations, in, in our personal lives, you, there's, there's a place of boldness, of confidence that we can have in the end times as we connect to his love. That's when his love is matured. We don't, we don't have to walk in a place of, of, of fear of rejection, a fear that he's going to abandon us because we, we make some mistake. Doesn't mean he won't discipline us at times, but he's not going to close his heart to us. He's a good, good father, right? 
and that he loves us, and he wants to put in us a, a boldness that, that no matter what's happening, we have that connection with love that, that can get us through absolutely anything. Um, so if this is speaking to you, I recommend getting the book. Um, if, if, if some of these thoughts or you, you can feel like, yeah, this is what, where I'm at in, in my walk. This is some of the stuff I, I'm needing to hear. Obviously, the book will help you get through that. But so much of the key is just opening our hearts to love. It, it's, I almost think of it as becoming a little bit childlike. Not childish, but childlike. You know, just a little bit playful in a, in a right kind of a way. Fun, kind, loving. This whole thing's about love. As bad as it gets as we get to go spend eternity with love. Right? That, that's as bad as it ever gets for us. It's all about this idea of love. So maybe you could just ask your heart that question this morning. Can I open to love? Can I open my heart to love? Just asking yourself, you know, can I embrace more of the Father's love? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for strengthening us with might in our inner man by your spirit. You said in, in, in Romans that, that by the Holy Spirit, you shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, strengthen us with might in our inner man. That we would be rooted and grounded in Christ. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and cause us to know the width and the height and the length and the depth of your love. Know your love that passes understanding, that we might be filled with all of your fullness as we know your love, as we know how incredibly big your love is. We'll be filled with all of your fullness. You'll do above and beyond what we could ask or even imagine. God, we thank you for releasing your grace to fathers this morning, releasing your grace for us to receive you as our ultimate father and releasing your grace for all of us to be spiritual fathers and mothers to those that you place in our path to show them that they have a good good father that you love us so much thank you Lord thank you father I want to just do something fun with you real quick if you'll just bear with me a second would you just stand I just want to um, have us speak a blessing. Just take just a moment. Just to speak a blessing. You know, the verse we, that I, I was talking about in Ephesians there talks about the Holy Spirit will pour his love in us. And we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We, we can speak those truths of God's word over each other. So if you would just grab a partner, grab the person next to you real quick. Just anybody nearby. It could be three people if it's not a logical two-person group. You can have a group of three. That's okay. So any, just join up with somebody real quick. And all I'm going to have, this is real easy, all I'm going to have you do is just repeat after me. And I'm just going to quote some scriptures. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but you'll know the scriptures. So just look at the person and, and let your love flow. So just look at the person you're with and say, Father loves you. And he's crazy about you. Did you know you're the apple of his eye? That his banner over you is love? 
that even when he thinks of you, he breaks out in rejoicing and joy and singing because he's so crazy about you. His eyes light up. Did you know you're the head and not the tail? You're above and not beneath. Everything you put your hands to will prosper because you have the blessing of a father on your life. I bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I bless you guys. I applaud you for being a little bit childlike and, and, and indulging me there. I trust hey. you're blessed. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Amen. We're going to bring the kids. I'm going to ask all the fathers before you go. All the fathers, will you come up here to the front, please? All the fathers, grandfathers. Well, yeah. All the fathers. All the fathers, we have prepared a special gift for you. Come on, Robert, you father. All the dads, come here. All the kids, come on, y'all, come on up and give your dad. Oh, thank you. kids now you remember last time oh if you're a grandpa you get another bag Michelle said, you are not a great grandpa. <laughs> He's prophesied. <laughs> yes, if you desire to be a great, great grandpa, raise your hand. <laughs> Papa Timmy, amen, that's right. So that just means that you were obedient to your parents. You get long life, a great, great grandpa. That's a long life, amen? Amen. Well, Father God, let's just, let's just pray for our fathers today. Father God, we just come to you, Lord God. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for these men, these blessed men that you have given us, Father God. And we just thank you, Lord. We just, we just want to say you are appreciated. 
We appreciate not only you being the head of us, but we appreciate all the time that you put in. And I just feel the Lord saying he sees. Nobody knows the depths that you swim. No one knows the labor that your hands and your feet has plowed and walked miles and miles and miles, not only for the kingdom, but for your family. And I hear the Lord saying he sees and he is pleased. So we just give you all of the honor and all of the glory for who you are. And we are beyond grateful and thankful, not only for the will that the Lord is continuing to work in you, but just who you are in general, just the man that you are in general. So we just thank you. And at this time, the children had asked if they were allowed to pray a blessing over you. So children, those of you that wanted to pray a blessing over the fathers of the house this morning, y'all come forth. All children, 50-year-old children, it doesn't matter. Any child that wants to pray for your dad this morning, come forth. Lord, I just pray today that all the fathers and all the grandpas and that everybody will be blessed and that today that will be their day and that they will have a good day and that we ask you that they will be blessed and that they will have a great day today. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus, I just pray that every dad will be blessed today and that they will have a great day and that they will just be filled with joy and that they're, they'll have a wonderful time and that if anybody's going on vacation, they will have a great time. Amen. Lloyd, we're going to... Lord, we're going to a beach as well. Any older children want to pray? Father, we thank you for all these fathers. We thank you for our children. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the privilege and the honor to be a father. And so, Lord, we ask you and thank you that we open our hearts wide open to your love to continue to show us and demonstrate to us how to be a good father out of your demonstration to us of how you're such a good, good father to us. And we thank you for that. We declare a blessing over all the fathers. We declare a blessing over their children. We declare a blessing over every person here today in the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Amen, amen, amen. Well, listen, before you go, uh, we want to be a blessing to Robert and Cindy. So the back box back there, we're going to designate towards them like we always do. So if you have it in your heart to bless them, to give to them, to sow into their ministry, just designate it Robert and Cindy or guest speaker and put it back there in the back. Otherwise, you guys be blessed and have a wonderful week.